0: Welcome to Antitrust Code by Concurrences. Concurrences is the leading antitrust database, with over 30,000 articles on competition law. Concurrences is also the largest network of antitrust experts, with lawyers, economists, enforcers, and academics in 85 countries. By listening to this podcast, you will learn the fundamentals of competition law and hear about the latest antitrust news, thanks to our guests, the best experts in the antitrust world.
1: Welcome to Panel One Digital Regulations. I'm one of your moderators, Erin Migration. I'm an executive vice president with Compass Lexicon. Um, our co moderator at the far end is Sravuta Vruna, and she's a partner at uh, Clifford Chance. So I just want to say thank you very much for our distinguished speakers joining us. Um, Over the past few years, we have seen several governmental agencies, both in the United States and around the world, investigate and bring cases against some of the largest technology firms. As an article in the Harvard Business Review from February 2023 stated, and I quote, it appears that hunting season for large technology firms is in full swing. So this is a very significant time, and it's a very busy time, For the people in this room, and especially in those on this panel, we're very fortunate to have them and hear their perspectives. So let me give a quick bio for each one. Uh, Reioki Aoki is Commissioner of the Japan Fair Trade Commission and former Executive Vice President at Kyushu University. She has conducted research on economics of patents, standards, innovation, and intergenerational political economy. She has been actively involved in science, technology, and innovation policy with roles at numerous organizations, including as Executive Member of a Council of Science and Technology Policy, the Japanese Cabinet Office from 2009 to 2014. She is Professor Emeritus, she is Professor Emeritus of Iso Tsubashi University. Paula Blizzard is Senior Assistant Attorney General at the California Attorney General's Office and leads the state's antitrust section. She supervises all the AG's non-healthcare antitrust work including technology, oil and gas, agriculture, airlines, and merger matters. Prior to joining the AG's office, Paula was Deputy Bureau-, Excuse me, Deputy Bureau Chief for Enforcement at the Federal Communications Commission Sarah Cardell is chief executive of the Competition Markets Authority, CMA. She's a member of the CMA's board and leads the CMA's senior executive team. She was previously interim chief executive and prior to that was general counsel at the CMA. And then we have Alex Cordero. He is president of the Administrative Council for Economic Defense in Brazil since July, 2021. He previously served at the same institution as superintendent general and also served as commissioner. He is a visiting scholar at the international and international fellow at the Global Antitrust Institute of the Antonin Scalia Law School. And he is a professor at several universities in Brazil and abroad. So thank you all for coming and I'll turn it over for our first question.
2: Thanks, Erin. So a warm welcome from me as well to all of you and also to our our panelists. Um, Let me start this off with quite an open-ended question uh, to allow us to draw some themes for for the discussion. And we'd like to hear from from all of you, uh, obviously, on this question. Uh, What goals should antitrust be trying to achieve with respect to uh, technology markets? And perhaps I'll start with uh, you, Sarah, since you um, kind of made a lot of references to outcomes and market outcomes uh, earlier in your FISAT chat.
3: Yeah, thank you. So, I mean, I think, um, as I said earlier, and, and as we sort of set out in the overview document I mentioned, um, that we published today, for us, it's very much focusing on outcomes, because I think, you know, that's, that's critical. For the CMA as a whole, we set our uh, sort of objectives, our outcomes in, in three areas. So, we think about um, you know, promoting competition and tackling unfair practices, to drive better outcomes for people. And we're thinking there about making sure that people can get you know, great choices, fair deals. So when you're thinking about choices for uh, for people, for consumers, as I mentioned earlier, we want to make sure that the people can switch. We want to make sure that people are not locked in. Uh, they get the opportunity to benefit from great innovations that are coming through into the marketplace. Um, we set our outcomes in terms of uh, businesses and. Uh, ensuring that businesses really can innovate and thrive. So then we're looking at what are those business opportunities, the extent to which they are locked into particular ecosystems, the extent of dependencies, making sure that we can try to sort of unlock those dependencies and really create those opportunities for both small and large businesses to innovate, thrive, and to new markets. And then I think, you know, ultimately, it's also about looking at that sort of cross-economy impact and thinking about, going back to the earlier discussion, how do we see innovation playing through? How do we see that drawing through investment? And ultimately contributing to, to productivity and growth and, and that is where I think it's so important for us as agencies to really sort of tie through to that, that bigger picture so that is kind of the broad framing that, that we put through both for our work generally but then playing that through to our work in digital markets as well Thank
2: you. Um, maybe we can s- switch to um, you Paula um, outcomes sure. for technology markets
4: sure Um <laughs> Uh, So, first of all, thank you for inviting me, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I always need to give a disclaimer that these views are my own, uh, not those of Attorney General Bonta. Um, I will say he's very supportive of the antitrust program, however. Um, And um, just picking up a little bit on what Sarah said, um, I think this is difficult to think about outcomes in the sense that we, uh, I think regulators get in trouble when they pick a very particular outcome like, I want this company to win, or I want my homegrown company to be successful. Um, and so you're trying to get measurable outcomes, you're trying to get more competition, but at the same time, you want to foster innovation. And I really wanna talk a little bit about innovation, because I think particularly here in Silicon Valley and working for the California Attorney General, right, protecting innovation, and protecting Silicon Valley's innovative spirit uh, is, is a big part of what the antitrust laws are supposed to do, right? And innovation is uh, really happens when you don't know what that next thing is, right? Everybody remember the old plain old telephone system and the landlines were great. You have these little copper wires, you had these little things with dials on them. Nobody knows what those are, and you could make calls. Who knew we needed smartphones, cell phones? Uh, well, turns out we did, right? But at the time, I'm certain AT&T told those regulators, oh, we're good. Everything's good. So <laughs> there, there doesn't need to be any innovation here. This technology's been around forever. This is old tech, no innovation. A defendant recently said in one of my cases, um, in about a particular market, the good things uh, have really been done. The new products, they could not possibly be as good as the ones we already have. Okay, that's terrifying to me, okay? (laughs) That is why we need the antitrust laws. We need to foster that innovation. And oftentimes you don't know where it's gonna come from. You didn't know you needed FedEx. The Postal Service works great. You didn't know you needed FedEx till they decided to route everything through Atlanta overnight and you could get someone, get something across the country for 10 bucks overnight, right? You didn't know you needed smartphones. You didn't know you could not possibly navigate to drive here without um, GPS and the navigation in your car or your phone, right? 10 years ago, you didn't know that. So fostering that sense of innovation and making sure that there is the ability for new companies to come in and do something nobody ever thought of, I think is a tremendously important part of the antitrust laws. Um, So let me just... um, cut to the chase a bit and tell you which defendant made that comment. So That was Google. Google said that in open court, and the actual quote is about the smartphone app market. The new apps for your phone could not possibly be as good as the ones we already have. Okay, (laughs) credit to Google. We settled that case. Uh, We got a $700 million settlement. We got some great injunctive terms that I think will open up the market but when their experts said that in open court, right, that, that was a watershed moment for me, perhaps, to say this is why the antitrust laws are here. Um, because durable monopoly power uh, needs to be challenged and you need innovation and you always need the opportunity for that next app that you've never heard of to revolutionize the way we use our funds. So that's... Um, that's what I think the antitrust laws are, are here to do.
2: Okay, good. And we'll get back to that uh, Google trial um, <laughs> later on, if you don't mind, Paula.
5: Sure. Uh, perhaps break over to you uh, for your thoughts on this. Thank you. thank you. First of all, thank you for inviting me to this valuable uh, um, um, conference. Sarah's fire site was very great. And we you've mentioned already, many of the things I think that are important with innovation, and so has Pola. So I just like, and it's an opportunity, making sure that firms have an opportunity to enter the market, the consumers have choice at an affordable price, uh, open and fair markets. I think everybody agrees on that. One thing I'd just like to add to that is that um, technology markets include both algorithms the software part and also the like the search engine and the ai technology uh, but also hardware and i think in the days of computers everybody paid attention to hardware and who was making the chips what the chip market uh, looks like and that has come um, to attention again with generative ai um, uh, that was reviewed by the cma And making sure that uh, fair and uh, open markets exist at all layers of the technology market, I think, is uh, very important and something that we need to pay attention. Again, I think perhaps in Japan we have many hardware manufacturers and we realize that making sure that market is innovative as it should be it's very important for the whole technology market as well. It's something that I'd like to add to the comments that have already been made.
2: Thank you very thanks. much. Thanks. Um, over to you, Alex, for the same question.
0: Thanks, thanks, Davila. Um So, do um, you know, responding to your question about antitrust regulation in digital economy, uh, I mean, I think that everybody's following this, uh, the same thing. You want fair competition, innovation, protect the consumers. At the end of the day, that's what we want. But the question is, uh, there is uh, to respond to this question, there is level of answers. You can be very, very general, as we're doing right now. And we can question, actually, how to do it. And do you know what we want in terms of antitrust regulation? And the first question is, we really want to regulate. And there is a paradox in regulated innovation maybe. And if you really want to regulate, have someone analyze the cost and the benefits of this regulation have someone analyzed the impact, the negative externalities of this regulation, For innovation, for the consumers, for all those things that you want, we want to protect. And uh, at the end of the day, what we want to thank for, like, you know, authorities, is guarantee, uh, as Paula said, Uh, innovation and that people can come after all Mm -hmm. with new disruptive products and benefit Mm -hmm. the consumers. So this is a simple question to answer. The hard question is how to do it and how guarantee that we can protect the consumers. Listen, Define what we want. Will lead us to the correct way to guarantee what we want to protect. Uh, And there is a huge discussion about the goals of, and I trust, and things that have been discussed in a lot: environment, labor rights, security, sovereignty, whatever. And if you are inside of some uh, international forums, for example, OECD, ICN, as an agency, all the time come new subjects. For example, we will, we're willing to discuss right now democracy in antitrust, poverty in antitrust. Environment is a old issue, it's not new anymore. Now we're discussing more things. So see how hard it is. If you are not speaking the same language as an antitrust community we will have problems to understand where we need to get with an agency and what you were expecting from us. And it means lack of predictability, transparency and effectiveness. So being very directly to your question, I think that antitrust and if you need a regulation in the digital market, we're still looking for protect consumers and fairness in competition. That fairness in competition will protect the consumers. That's what I think.
2: Thank you very much, uh, Alex. And perhaps taking a cue from your, your remarks, we can move to the how. Um, What needs to change and uh, I'm saying that conscious that uh, almost all the jurisdictions represented on this panel are in the process of uh, adopting new legislation to regulate the digital space but also changing a few things about um, the way uh, antitrust enforcement works. So what needs to change for antitrust to achieve the goals that we uh, were all just speaking about? Um, Again, Sarah, perhaps you can start us off.
3: Yeah, so I don't want to to sort of repeat too much of my earlier comments but I think just to give the UK perspective and and perhaps unpack it a little bit more. So I think, as I mentioned earlier, there's a widespread recognition in the UK, at least, that the regime that we had present doesn't go far enough and doesn't have, I think, particularly the agility and the flexibility and the pace to deliver the kind of um, compressed environment that we've all been discussing. And that doesn't mean that we don't have great cases and great interventions. I think we've done a lot with the powers that we've got over the last few years. But particularly when you think about the pace and the scale of change, when you look at the network economies that are developing, when you look at some of the the sort of tipping elements of the the digital markets that we've seen, I think there is that wide recognition that something more is needed. And and as Alex said, that sort of comes back to the question of regulation. And what what that means for the UK, I think, is, is, you know, picks up quite a lot of, of the points that Alex was just making because it is about making sure that you have a regulatory framework that is not sort of excessive, is not heavy handed and doesn't, um, through the best of intentions, end up kind of crushing and, and compromising that uh, innovation and that, that sort of competitive spirit, which is so critical in these markets. So um, where we've got to in the UK is a regime, which as I mentioned, is very targeted. So it's really you know, looking by firm, by digital activity, where are the areas where we think something more is needed and that you know, that is recognising I think, pretty uncontroversially, the existence of really very entrenched market power in some, of these, in some of these digital markets. So your starting point is to sort of focus right in on those companies who have that substantial and entrenched power. And then the question is, well, what do you do about it? How do you design the regulatory framework that enables us to better manage uh, and, uh, in some cases, um, sort of unwind some of that market power but does that always having front of mind those outcomes? Always having front of mind that we are trying to do at the end of the day is open up the market to effective competition and give consumers the best possible outcome. So the design in the UK, um, as I say, is very targeted. It takes it by company, by activity, and then we have the ability to uh, set what are termed conduct requirements. And again, this is very um, this is very bespoke, and it's very proportionate, and what we've set out in our overview documents today is, is a bit of a sense of how we would go about designing these conduct requirements. Um, and we've taken an approach that says, look, you could, our starting point again is outcomes. Um, and then you could be quite high level in some cases. So you know, in some cases, it may well be right that you set a sort of high level, fairly principle-based view of this is the outcome that we want to, to see in relation to, to this particular area. Um, but you leave a lot of discretion for the company about how best to achieve that and i think it's important as as an agency to recognize that you know we are not always best placed to design a sort of micromanaged outcome and we want to make sure that you keep room in these markets to enable all businesses to innovate and develop Uh, so we don't want to kind of close in the space for that to happen, but, but there may be other circumstances where actually the nature of the issue is, um, is very clear or is particularly persistent, um, where you do need to end up getting into a more prescriptive approach, and the UK regime retains the flexibility for us to be able to move between those different levels of detail, which I think is quite important, and it also means that we can kind of iterate that over time, so it may be that in certain circumstances we start off with a conduct requirement that's quite high level, And if that produces the right outcome, great. If it doesn't, then we may look to go back in and do something that's more detailed. Now, in all of that, I think we're very conscious too that um, even for the firms that are designated with strategic market status, it's important to create an environment of sufficient certainty, you know, because the other thing that will chill innovation is is excessive regulatory uncertainty. Um, So that's where, for us, this, this sort of, I guess, quite philosophical approach of, of, of engagement is so important to make sure that firms understand the underlying principles that are driving our approach. And you know, some of the conversations I've been having with some of the businesses this week, it's been very much about, look, I can see the regime going on a bit of a journey. So we may start off in a world where we have a more prescriptive approach in some cases where we're sort of setting a, a more detailed kind of specification of outcomes we're looking to see because you've got an entrenched issue that 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 needs to be tackled but my aspiration and hope over time is that we get to a model where actually the underlying principles are well understood by the the overall community and that that enables firms recognizing you know often you're bringing to market products and services that have multi-year pipeline uh, development routes. you're bringing you're bringing to market products and services that are um, done in a way that is more in line with those principles. So, you know, I think it will be a journey. I think it will be a journey both for us as an agency and for um, the companies that are designated and for the broader set of stakeholders who have a clear interest in those outcomes. But I think it should have the ability to be more targeted and more bespoke than having the sort of quite binary um, nature of competition enforcement that we have at the moment.
2: That's really interesting and slightly, going slightly off script, um, based on one of the comments you made this morning. I was very interested in the comment you made around future-proofing the regulation, because to to an extent this is engineering market change. How can you be sure that that market change is going in the right direction? You're not closing off or boxing in um, uh, the industry in certain directions.
3: Yeah, I I think it is a good question. So obviously there are things that we want to make sure, as I mentioned earlier, like trying to avoid locking in particular technologies. but where possible, it is about um, doing it in a way that kind of creates the space for businesses still to design the solutions that they want to get to. So I don't think we should be looking to put ourselves in the place of the business in you know granular design in all cases. It will happen in some cases because it will be needed in some cases. Um, but I also hope that, uh, that the way that the UK regime is designed has an inherent flexibility to move, you know, almost by definition, given the nature of these markets, they are so fast moving. The discussion that we're having now about AI and foundation models, we weren't having two years ago when this regime was first conceived. Now, we think that the UK regime actually has the flexibility to adopt and move, but I think that's key. Um, you've got to be able to kind of have a regime that is is able to evolve as quickly as the technology is as well. <laughs> it's a tough, a tough bet
2: there. Um, uh, maybe Paula, turning to you um, from the US perspective, conscious that the US is not one of these jurisdictions where legislation is imminent, but there's other things that are happening at the
4: moment that are equally innovative. <laughs> sure, so um, yes, legislation is not, certainly federal legislation is probably not imminent. Um, much has been proposed, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, I think one of the things, again, coming back to protecting innovation is thinking about how we can protect Um, the smaller players and protect what are sometimes called incipient violations, right? Or there is about to be a violation, or there could probably likely be a violation soon, but the companies aren't quite big enough yet. Um, So here in California, um, we already have that law, and we're very proud of that law. I encourage you all to become more familiar with California's unfair competition law. Um, this is the part that EPIC won in EPIC v. Apple if you are familiar with this, but let me give you a little bit of background. It is designed to specifically cover an incipient violation of the antitrust laws um, or conduct that violates the policy or spirit of the antitrust laws, but not the laws themselves. Okay. Other quotes from the California Supreme Court, Right. Um, it is intentionally framed in its broad sweeping language precisely to enable judicial tribunals to deal with the innumerable new schemes which the fertility of men's invention would contrive. Okay? That is a law designed to catch things we haven't thought of yet, and designed to catch new schemes, new ways of acting that are harming competition, that are harming the competitive process, and that are harming innovation. and so I think in, in California, and I think you may find this in multiple states, right, um, and maybe in the U.S. as a whole, right, we have very broad laws. We need to enforce them. We need to enforce the laws we have, and we need to enforce it to the full letter of what the legislatures have given us, right? The legislatures decide what the law says. I don't write these laws. The judicial um, uh, tribunals make decisions. I can give you quotes from the California Supreme Court that guide how we enforce California law. Um, And we, as prosecutors, need to go do that. And I think you're seeing that now. You will certainly see it more in California. And I think, just generally, the states are more nimble than the federal government. And I think you will see more and more states in their own laws, enforcing the federal laws, um, going into their state courts doing more um, by themselves and with the full toolbox in front of them to to tackle some of these hard problems and protect innovation because um, unlike many of my uh, uh, sisters on these panels, um, I'm not getting a full slate of of new laws, Um, but I think we have very broad laws already um, that we're just gonna go ahead and enforce. Good, thank you very much, Paula. Um,
2: Reiko, over to you, uh, conscious that, you know, um, we were also talking about antitrust investigations as well as, as regulation, and I know that in Japan there is uh, recently, I think October, um, a new investigation into Google's practices, but also new legislation.
5: Would you like to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, that, thank you. Um, it's great to come out after so who's given the principles and Paula, uh, uh, who, who's, uh, in the most innovative area in the world, and then in Japan, that's trying to be just as innovative. And I think we're kind of taking the middle approach, as you mentioned. Uh, The two examples show that in Japan, to accommodate the new environment, we'll be giving a new twist to the traditional uh, antitrust enforcement, as well as to uh, introducing new exotic regulations, as uh, you mentioned. So I'll give the two examples. One is the uh, um, details of the two examples. One is our Google uh, case that we uh, started in uh, October, uh, related to application on Android. Google's uh, suspected anti-trust violation to search applications on Android devices. This investigation targets not only pre-installation of Google application on Android devices, but also the uh, revenue-sharing contracts between Google and device manufacturers. Google allegedly distributes the earnings to the device manufacturers on the condition that they do not include competitor search apps on their devices. understand that this is a very fast-moving area, and we need to gather information from various market participants, big and small. And because of this, for the first time, at the beginning of our uh, investigation, we made it public, and we also solicited uh, information from the public, uh, both from users and also uh, vendors associated with uh, Google's uh, violation. And we have um, will be making use of this um, whatever is has been submitted from the public to uh, during our investigation. Uh, so that's the antitrust enforcement with a new twist. Uh, the example of the new regulation is the new regulatory framework for the mobile OS sector. Uh, We we feel that we need to introduce this for expendency as has been uh, mentioned before. Uh, uh, A market study was launched by the cabinet secretary of the Japanese government on a mobile OS last February. And the final report uh, of competition assessment of mobile ecosystem was uh, published in June. And the final report aims to achieve, uh, sorry, final report aims to activate innovation by various entities, enable consumers to select and benefit from the diverse service through competition while ensuring security and privacy. The report identifies certain issues such as mobile, Uh, vendors unilaterally setting and charging rules within the ecosystem, pre-installation or default settings and also acquisition of uh, utilization of data. These are pointed out as concerns. And to address address these issues, we're working on new ex-ante regulation on the mobile ecosystem while assessing the situation in Europe and other countries.
2: And Reiko and will the JFTC be the, the enforcing authority of that new
5: law? Yes, we will be. And our legal uh, uh, division has been working very hard in drafting the uh, legislation. Uh, the draft is almost complete. Uh, we hope, that, but we are looking at what is happening in Europe and the United States. Uh, we will definitely uh, be taking action on the legislation this calendar year. Okay, that's something to anticipate. Um,
2: Alex, over to you. Uh, I know Brazil is also looking at this, but uh, perhaps earlier in, in your thinking.
1: Uh,
0: yeah, no, I don't think that uh, uh, this Brazilian, whatever we're going to call Brazilian GMA, whatever it is is, is, is going out soon. I don't think so. Uh, There is a a bill in Congress. They are discussing a lot of things. They're discussing uh, actually how to do it. It Really the necessity to regulate actually. Uh, At the beginning of the discussion is, for example, uh, here is zero regulation and here is full regulation. Here we have uh, company discretion, but We have also more uh, power for the authority. And this side here is less discretion. And you change the power of the authority to the law. Here is case by case, economic analysis, evidences. Here, presumptions. This side, we are talking about um, slow analysis. Here is much more faster. Here, probably less mistakes, for example, false positives or false negatives, or oh, a- actually less mistakes, false positives and false negatives. And here we're gonna have more this kind of errors. So should be with zero in terms of regulation, full regulation, or something in between? That's the question. What is the level of this regulation? Just principles, or we have to really create presumptions. And what kind of these presumptions? Absolute presumptions, relative presumptions, and should be actually just principles and give the power to the authority to, for example, analyze case by case using these principles, but using more interim measures. Listen, in Brazil, uh, I'm talking about interim measures because the system is a little bit different. Uh, the standard to uh, give a injunction is or a, uh, it's, it's much more easier than Europe or United States. Uh, and we have been using this a lot in Kaji. So uh, when we were, uh, Paulo was talking about uh, the, the innovation and how companies can really create something that we don't know actually, we don't know the market, suddenly it happens. For example, there is a nice, a very nice, nice case in Brazil that calls uh, Gym Pass case. This is a company, it's a platform that uh, brings people and companies and thousands of gyms. And this platform, you pay a fee for this platform and you can use whatever, Gym that you want in Brazil that is, you know, uh, has a contract with this uh, company. And this, it doesn't exist in Brazil. This company started to do exclusively clause in contracts with the gyms, saying, okay, I'm going to give you some money, but you have to stay with me forever. And the companies, okay, the gym said, I, I like that. Give me money, you know, I. Develop my, my gym and bring people in, I, it, it's going to be okay. At the beginning, this was great. Efficiency, you know, uh, there is a lot of demand for workout and no gyms enough in Brazil. And start to appears a lot of gyms because this company was like putting money in investing. But as Paula said, it was too little. It wasn't a problem when he was 10% of the market, 20% of market. Suddenly, it was 80% of the market. So what do we have, what do we, what do we do? We stop it, we give injunction, uh, intermeasure saying that, okay, we cannot do exclusive clause anymore. Stop here, don't do it anymore. Uh, we changed the market completely with that. We didn't need a regulation that you cannot do exclusive clause. What we did was, with this entry measure, the company came and say, okay, let's open the market again. You, will, you have the opportunity to make exclusive clause with just 20% of the market. The rest you have to open. They came to Cadi and you did a settlement and we solved the problem. And like this case, we had like, probably for the last two years, uh, six, or, six or seven, and exactly like this. So right now, New companies that want to do exclusive clause, they look at the jurisprudence and say, okay, it is already regulated. So if I do something more than 20% or 30%, probably I will have a problem in the authority. So let's ask them before. And we're still analyzing case, uh, case by case. So uh, uh, that's why this kind of discussion is still, uh, it, it is very hot right now in Brazil but I don't think that the law of antitrust regulation come soon. There is many things to understand, many things to study, to search, and, 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 and decide inside of the Congress and also with the executive power.
2: Thank you very much, Alex. Um, conscious of time, I'll move over to Aaron for more questions.
1: Yeah, so let me ask, how important is coordination with your counterparts in other jurisdictions for effective enforcement? And do you think there's room for more coordination? And maybe we can start with you, Paula.
4: Um, Sure, so uh, like any uh, good answer, the answer is yes and no. Um, uh, Coordination is terribly important. I love talking to Sarah, I love talking to the JFTC, the Brazil, the other agencies. We absolutely talk, coordinate, think about things. But at the same time, um, we are completely independent uh, jurisdictions. And something that works for the UK may not work at all in California. Um, And so, you know, companies find this to be difficult. um, But yes, you have to comply with the laws in different jurisdictions. And there are different labor laws, for instance, in different jurisdictions, and you don't get out of that simply by saying, well, I want the same labor law, Um, and there are different tax laws, and there are different IP laws, and a lot of other things that affect your business. And competition is just one of those, right? Um, And so there will be different results. There will be different laws. There will be different interactions. You know, that being said, again, we do coordinate and we do pay a lot of attention. I think everywhere we're paying attention. You're hearing all of us saying, we're watching what everybody else up here is doing Um, because it does take away uh, or uh, focus some of the arguments. When a company comes in and said, I could not possibly do this. Like this this cannot happen. Like I can't do this. The economy would die. It's not technically feasible, blah, blah, blah. And then they, they give that to Sarah I'm like, yeah, well, you were not quite telling me the truth because you just gave it to another regulator around the world. Um, So we do pay attention to these things, but I don't, um, I, I, to coordination and to what's going on, but at the same time, I honestly don't think we're going to have one answer at all. And if you're a software developer, if you're a company in Silicon Valley and you're innovating or you've got clients, you're gonna have to give them advice about every single jurisdiction, um, because I do think they may have things in common, and they're gonna have things that are different, just like the labor laws and the tax laws.
3: Sarah? I mean, I think I would echo a lot of what Paula has said, showing the (laughs) benefits of aligned thinking. I mean, I I think it's exactly as, as Paula said, there are huge benefits to us and I mentioned earlier the coherence and and including kind of coordination internationally is is really important for the new regime as it is currently cross merge control enforcement etc there are many enforcement cases that we have at the moment with parallels to to work that the uh has been happening at state level and federal level um, in the US uh, and across the EU and elsewhere of course with the digital cases tech markets we're all looking at many many similar themes and therefore i think it's natural that we want to sort of test our analysis and our approach and use that as a bit of a cross check um, and i think there are real benefits to, to businesses also in the fact that we do that because i also understand from a commercial perspective you're trying to navigate an international um, environment where you know y- 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 other things equal you're probably wanting at least a degree of regulatory coherence so um, that's something we're very mindful of. We have lots of opportunities to engage, whether it's sort of bilaterally through um, ICN, OECD, other other um, fora like that, which are incredibly useful, I think, for these sorts of discussions. Um, I think it's very helpful, frankly, when businesses are also willing to share with us what they are doing in different jurisdictions. And to, to Paula's point, I think the earlier um, it's possible to have those conversations, that enables us to... Um, understand what's happening across jurisdictions and therefore help businesses who are also trying to reach a solution that works across different jurisdictions. So, for me, in part, it does come back to that engagement point to make sure those discussions are having soon, happening sooner rather than later. Sometimes there will be cases where an outcome works for an individual jurisdiction, as Paula says, and it doesn't work elsewhere. Sometimes it's obvious that uh, something is going to work best if it's happening at a global level, and I think we will just all need to kind of continue to navigate that landscape.
1: I don't know if Alex or Reiko, you have any perspective
5: on that question? Uh, um, this time, Alex has already mentioned icno so, and I think uh, those uh, organizations take into account what Paula's mentioned about differences in uh, policies uh, um, among uh, nations, uh, but there is a lot of knowledge Uh, to be shared among uh, enforcers, and I think this has become uh, more of a focus with international cooperation. Uh, Last November, Japan hosted the uh, G7 competition summit in Tokyo, and the summit adopted the digital competition communique for the first time, recognizing the need for international cooperation in digital competition. And the communique declares that the G7 competition enforcers and policymakers will further strengthen cooperation by sharing knowledge and experiences concerning emerging technologies, including genitive AI, ex-ante regulation, and law enforcement developments. And I think the importance is that we're not sharing information case by case, but sharing general knowledge and the framework for understanding new technologies, which I think is very, very valuable for all of us. Thank you.
0: So, uh, I think that, um, I mean, I'm kind of confirming what everybody just said. Uh, International cooperation, uh, and I trust is very international. So it's very, you know, unique. It's one of the kind of uh, law area that is uh, the principles the tools are very similar abroad so everything that uh, we we study and you learn in Kaji, come from Europe come come from United States for those more mature agencies and 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 there is two level of cooperation one is exchanging these tools and informations and best practices. And the other level is, let's talk about the specific case and how to cooperate. Uh, and this is more uh, difficult because what works in California, in UK, in Japan, may not work in Brazil. But it is very important we are aligned in terms of time in terms of remedy I, we are for sure uh, independent agencies but we have a very uh, huge and strong responsibility in terms of uh, what is going on abroad listen for sure i will look for my market and look what's going on in my country but you know if i can combine the remedies with other jurisdictions to knock why blocking the deal, applying a remedy that's not necessary in my country, but to just because uh, uh, I think that it is, but can do other options. This is what I think that the uh, authorities should do. Combining strategies, aligning the time, you know, uh, understanding what they are doing on the jurisdiction in terms of remedies and trying to do together, uh, it's a benefit for everybody. For the companies, that we're more transparent, more predictability, for the authorities that are gonna be together and have more power together than alone, than to, in order to, uh, to deal with the cases. And there is very uh, good forums to do that, so I, I meet Sara and Heiko every time, at least, Six, seven times per year in in those <laughs> events. ICN actually next next ICN will be in Brazil. Who uh, has <laughs> a mission here? If you, if everybody has the opportunity to go, do it. Gonna be in a nice place in Salva. Close to Salvador is a state of northeast of the country. Don't miss it. Gonna be the best ICN. <laughs> 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 and and we can, you know. Uh, uh, I know them, and, and i still saying that the best way to do international cooperation is pick up the phone. If I need anything that I, you know, I, in UK, I will call Sarah, Sarah, help me here. Can I put my people in contact of yours that I have this case here? Please, let's do something together. sir. okay, I'll talk to this guy and, you know, they will run the show. The same thing with Ray Coppola, I'm sure of that. And I still believe in that. Uh, pick up the phone, knowing people on the other side, going to these events, discussing the best practice, discussing the goals of antitrust, Even though we have some, uh, you know, divergence, but at the end of the day, everybody wants to converge. So uh, it, it is very important, and I think we we'll have space to improve every day.
1: Okay, thank you. Um, I guess if we each of you can take a minute. Um, the final question for this panel, which is, in your view, how has economic analysis promoted or potentially obstructed sound antitrust enforcement of technology firms? And in what areas do you think the economics community could do a better job to help achieve the policy goals discussed today? And if you wanna start, Paul, sure.
4: Okay, and I know know we're out of time. I'm keeping you from your coffee and your snack. uh, so let me stick with my innovation theme. Um, so, so name the top five cases and the top five economic analyses that measure and quantify loss of innovation as a resulting harm from an antitrust violation. Right? Okay. We have not done a great job with economics and measuring it and making it a quantifiable harm under the antitrust laws. The U.S. antitrust laws are really good at saying if the com- if the consumer paid $10 and they should have paid 8 we can compensate them for that $2. If the consumer still has a dial-up telephone and has never even thought about a cell phone or a smartphone, we have no idea how to think about that market and about an innovation market or just the loss of innovation in a given market. So we put forward in our Google Play case against um, Google over the Play Store, um, which we just settled. Um, uh, an expert report that was looking at and quantifying this loss of innovation. It's Dr. Mark Reisman from Boston University, but as a challenge to the economists, I am always saying, give me better models that measure loss of innovation because it is so important to the goals of antitrust laws and I feel it's an area where the economics has let us down.
1: Thank you. Anybody else wants to take on the question?
3: I mean, just very briefly, I think like uh, I mentioned before, our, our approach is very much about being objective evidence-based uh, and, and obviously the economic analysis plays a really important part in that. I think, to Paula's point, it's really important that the economic frameworks that we use keep pace with the concerns that we're looking at and the dynamics in the market. So We've done a lot of work in the UK, for example, on merchant control, looking at sort of lots of innovation and how that plays through. I would say that I think um, the economics is a part of it, it's got to be grounded in the market reality. For us, it's been as important to be hiring technologists, data scientists, data engineers, people who really understand these markets, and that needs to sit alongside the economic analysis.
5: <coughs> I'll have the remarks that have already been made about innovation. I think, it, I, I'm an economist, so of course economics has contributed a lot to antitrust in a positive way, but we need to do more. and One is to incorporate other disciplines like uh, behavioral economics. But the other thing that we probably should be—we uh, need to work harder—is to understand innovation better. There's innovation economics, but I don't think we've been—it hasn't. The observation has not been dynamic uh, enough in the sense that you have innovation, a new market environment, firms behave in a particular way given the innovation, and then that's going to influence the next round of innovation. That's going to change the market more. And I think economists have not been able to keep track of this evolution, the heterogeneity of an evolution, because technically we often use the Markov um, assumption, which means that you do the same thing over and over again with a few parameters changing, but that's, the market seems to be a lot more dynamic in the sense that the whole structure is going to be changing, and you to incorporate that. I'm sure Mark Riesman would be doing a great job tackling that question as other economists, and i just like to, that um, uh, 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 the JFTC has uh, conducted They started a study group on innovation, trying to identify this dynamic um, interpretation based on all the work that has been done in economics, looking at the impact of firm conduct on innovation in a dynamic way. The report has been released once last year. The uh, the group has uh, convened again in October to try to find ways to, to um, apply the uh, previous report, which was very theoretical, into actual cases, and they'll be uh, releasing their final report in the new future, so, and they will be available in English. Pay attention, please, thank you. <laughs> thank
1: you, and Alex?
0: Uh, so there is no, and I trust, without economics. That's for sure and I think that most uh, uh, most important is not changing the law but changing the tools you know developing new tools and creating uh, new approaches for the old tools in terms of this new world. So I think this is the contribution that the economists uh, should have uh, and and I mean yes, uh, again, quoting Paula here it's sometimes we we lack of uh, good studies about impact of reservations, about good cases, about the impact of rule of reason in terms of uh, conduct or, and also in, in big case of innovation. So I think that the contribution is, let's think about uh, with you know, more effort and to developing and creating more tools, economic tools to analyze these dynamic markets.
1: Very good, thank you. Um, I think that. Do we have questions from the audience?
2: We may need to limit ourselves a little bit because, mm-hmm. I, as Paula said, we are keeping people away from coffee,
1: including myself <laughs> in that group. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. One one question. Okay.
6: Uh, I know this is a conference on antitrust, but this is a session on digital regulations. I've just spent three five days at the AEA annual meetings where the topic of uh, AI, digital economy, and antitrust was dominant theme. The question that is, your last question poses is that the political economy of regulation as well as political economy of innovation is such that is not driven by quote unquote the economic analysis of competition. In UK, US, even Europe, China, India, these are five countries I've studied, it's driven by other concerns, (laughs) privacy, misinformation, political and other dimensions, the dominance, even dominance is interpreted in those terms, but what about those regulations in all of these jurisdictions which will shape the contours of antitrust and regulation as well as enforcement? Have you, I think that is sort of a
3: Briefly, certainly from the UK perspective, I mentioned earlier we have something called the Digital Regulators Cooperation Forum. So that is is very much sort of picking up these intersections. So we work really closely with um, our privacy regulator. We have our communications regulator has just taken on our sort of online safety legislation that's just gone through in the UK, and, and the work that we're doing in relation to generative AI. As I said, when you're thinking about the competition concerns and the consumer protection concerns, we're also thinking about the interplay with security and safety concerns. So I think there is an increasing recognition in the antitrust community that, you know, we can't be looking at those issues in a bubble and we need to be thinking about, Whilst our our primary responsibility is to think about antitrust. We absolutely need to be creating those connections and and we see that in our casework and the broader policy thinking.
5: Yeah.
1: Okay, thank you. Um, Thank you to our guest speakers and uh, I think we can conclude this session.
0: You listen to an episode of Antitrust Code by Concurrences. If you want to read more about this topic, check the Concurrences website, where you can find all relevant articles. Follow us on Twitter at CompetitionLoss and join the Concurrences group on LinkedIn to receive updates on our next podcast.